Listen, we're starting a brand new series that we're calling Uphill Habits. And we, we've titled it that very specifically because here's the truth. Um, we all have this high hope for the new year, right? We all have this high hope for going into 2018. We all make these resolutions. We all have, say, we all have these things that we say that we'll never do again. But the truth is, um, a lot of us have uphill hopes, but we have downhill habits, so we have these uphill hopes, we have this high expectation, 2018 is going to be so much different, it's going to be so much better, you know, new me, new, all that kind of stuff. The truth is, it's going to be the same you unless you change some things, right? So what we want to do this, uh, throughout this series is really help you get a perspective on how change actually happens. Because I think sometimes we have these high hopes, but I don't know if you know this, hope is not a strategy, <laughs> Hope is not a strategy for the future. Hope is not going to get you to the place where you really need to be. Ultimately, it's going to come down to you recognizing some things in yourself that really need to change. Um, Aristotle put it this way. He says, we are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. Think about that for a moment. Your life, the life that you're living, you are defined by what you repeatedly do. And the truth is, most of us, we don't want to accept that, right? Most of us, we, we look at some of our habits and we don't want to accept that that's who we really are. But the truth is, the things that we constantly gravitate towards, the things that are constantly dragging us downhill, the things that are constantly pulling us down, these are the very things that are defining the essence of who we really are. So I want to issue a challenge to you before we dive into this. I want to say something that we've said at the beginning of every year, and I really believe if you took it seriously that it could change your life. And here's what I mean. We live in a culture that hates commitment, right? We're, we're dating relationships are becoming longer and longer and longer and longer because everybody's scared to get married. They're scared to put the ring on it. They're scared to get married. They're scared to make a commitment. So in light of this, in light of the culture that we live in now, I want to challenge you to do something that is quite counterculture. I want to challenge you to make a commitment. I want to challenge you to make a commitment to give OSC Crowley a year of your life. Give it a year of your life. Commit to saying every single Sunday that I have the opportunity to be there, I'm going to be there. And here's what I want to issue to you. If it has not changed your life in one year, go find another church. Go find another church. Because the truth is we're not the greatest church in town. We never have claimed to be. But the truth is I know this. If you are willing to commit yourself to a process, dive in to community, dive into the lifeblood of what church is all about, and I'm absolutely 100% convinced it'll change your life. If you can dive into the fullest potential, you can make a commitment to say, Jesus, you know what? There's some things that I disagree with. There's some things that I don't like. There's some things that, about church that maybe bother me, to be honest with you. I'm scared to dive in because I don't like people, to be quite frank. Like some of us, we, we, we love church. We love to attend, but we just don't like people. Maybe we're quiet. Maybe we're shy. Maybe we don't like to get around big crowds. I, I want to challenge you to do something. Make a commitment to say, I'm going to give myself for one year, and if it doesn't change my life, I'm going to go somewhere else. Now, I don't know what pastor you would hear somebody tell you that, but I'm telling you this because I'm absolutely convinced that if you give yourself one year, that you discipline yourself, you commit yourself to a cause, to a vision that is much greater than we are, that it could truly change your life. Now, here's what I want to start off this series with. Everything worthwhile, everything worthwhile is going to be uphill. <laughs> everything worth, like every true change, 
So you're looking at 2018, and I know it. Uh, the 2018 rolls around, and you're like, oh my gosh, 2017 went by so fast. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like January 1 comes on in 2018, you're like, where in the world did 2017 go, right? And you have all these expectations, all these high hopes for the future. But here's the truth. I just want you to anchor in, put your boots on, get ready for it. The truth is anything worthwhile, anything that is going to make a lasting impact, a lasting change in your life is going to be uphill. How many of you have ever like, gone jogging up like a mountain or up a steep hill? It, it, it immediately, what does it do? It, some of you are like, I've never jogged a day in my life, right? Um. But maybe you get halfway up the hill and you're like, man, I am, I'm so used to walking, you know, a half a mile and I'm never out of breath. But as soon as you start going uphill, it changes the dynamic of everything. All of a sudden, your legs start burning, your lungs start burning. All of a sudden, you're out of breath and it's something that you're not used to. But listen, everything worthwhile is uphill. Anything that is going to make a change in your life is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. So here's what I want you to anchor to throughout this series. Everything that we're going to talk about, it's not going to be easy. Everything that, all the the advice, all the scriptures that we're going to read, all the habits that we're going to talk about, if you want genuine life change, it's going to be hard. But here's the truth. The best way forward is usually the hardest way forward. The best way forward is usually the hardest way forward. It's usually the most difficult. And the reason that we don't take it is because we're creatures of comfort. We live in a Netflix and chill society, right? Like, I don't want today, you know what? I just, how many of you just admit, have some confession, this holiday, like you didn't get dressed for at least two days, right? And you sat in front of the TV and you binge watched a few shows and now you're like trying to like snap back into reality. Oh, I have a life. I have children. I should probably go take care of them, right? I, I have a job. I need to get back into that. So before I talk about this, here's, there's two things I need you to understand. One, it's going to be hard. And the second thing that I need you to understand is you've got to get rid of excuses. You've got to get rid of excuses, Because here's the truth. Everybody has an excuse of why they can't do something. Everybody has an excuse of why they can't commit. Well, I'm scared. What kind of excuse is that really? Everybody has an excuse. Maybe you say, well, you don't understand. You know, I I have these habits and I have these things that constantly hang me up. And if I get rid, I've tried to get rid of it before, but it just doesn't work. I, I usually fall back into it. Get rid of excuses. So, if you want to take this journey, how many of you say, I want 2018 to be the best year of my life? Show of hands in here. You want 2018 to be the best year of your life. If you want to take this journey, number one, you have to understand if 2018 is going to be the best year of your life, it has to be your best year spiritually. It has to be your best year spiritually. So you're going to need three things before I give you the first habit, before we talk about this. Number one, you're going to need a hope for the future. You're going to need a hope for the future. And I say that because 2017 was a year that just sucked some hope from you guys. 2017 was maybe a dark year for some of you. 2017 was a hard year. 2017 was a year where maybe you had some dreams and you had some expectations and you you had some ideas of how you thought life was going to go. And it didn't really turn out how you had hoped. Maybe 2017 was just a year of setbacks. 
Maybe 2017 was a year of disappointments. Or, or maybe you feel like 2017 was a year where you're like, my, my, my marriage is just a train wreck and I don't know how we're ever going to get out of this. Or maybe you look at 2017 and maybe you lost your job and it wrecked your finances and you don't know how you're ever going to recover from this. Or maybe you enter into 2017 and you say, you know what, 2017 was just so dark. It was a year that my depression returned and I don't know how to get out of this hole. I don't know how to get out of this pit. I want to offer two words to you if you find yourself in this place right now. But God. But God. See, oftentimes when we find ourselves in these places, um, I don't know if you realize this, but we usually discount God. (laughs) Our depression becomes so big, the hopelessness becomes so large, the situation that we find ourselves in becomes so overwhelming, anxiety is through the roof, but God. See, what would your life look like if those two words begin to actually mean something to you? But God. Yeah, my depression is horrible and I don't know what I'm going to do, but God. See, there's this woman who went to this well in the New Testament, and you've heard this story a thousand times. She's this woman who is thirsty, and it was a tradition that when you would go to the well, you would go early in the morning when the sun wasn't beaming on you. So she goes 12 o'clock in the afternoon when it is the hottest part of the day. And she's there thinking, nobody's going to see me, nobody's going to find me, Nobody's going to talk to me. She's hoping that she's going to arrive there alone. And she gets to the well, and there's this Jewish rabbi sitting at the well, and his name is Jesus. And all of a sudden, they strike up a conversation, and this woman is kind of taken by surprise for two reasons. Number one, she's a woman. Back in that time, men didn't really associate with women or really have deep, intimate conversation with them. Two, she was also a Samaritan, which meant that she was kind of like a half-breed. Her race was not, um, I guess, pleasing enough for the Jewish people. And so Jesus starts talking to this woman, one who he shouldn't be talking with. And all of a sudden in this story, Jesus begins to prophesy to her. He says, wait, why are you here? It's like 12 o'clock. Why are you grabbing water now? And then he goes, oh, I know why. He says, because you've had five husbands. And you're full of shame and you're, you're full of guilt. And he says, actually, the, the husband that you're with now is not even your husband. So now she's with the sixth person. And I love it in the story. She goes, I presume you're a prophet. <laughs> really? So here's this woman who is full of shame, full of guilt. And Jesus strikes up this conversation with her. And I love his response in the middle of it. This is the message, John 4.10 says, Jesus answered, listen to me, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh living water. What does this mean here? See, this woman is so riddled with shame and guilt. She's lost a hope for her future. She just thinks that life is always going to be like this. And Jesus just offers this one little line. He said, if you only knew who I was. If you only knew like how generous I would be if you just came to me. 
Like if you only knew the grace and mercy that I would extend to you. I want to say the same thing to you today. You may say you may have all these excuses of why you can't come clean. You may have all these excuses of why 2018 is still going to be horrible. But God enters into your life and he changes everything. See, if you only knew the generosity of God, I think we have this expectation sometimes when we finally come clean and when we finally come to God, we, we, we see him as like this angry father. I can't believe 2017, where were you, bro? <laughs> you weren't praying. Oh man, I didn't see you in church in, in 2017 at all. How dare you show up in 2018? Where have you been? You, you've heard these voices, Right? We have all these reasons of why we can't have a hope for the future. But Jesus is saying, if you only knew the generosity, I want to extend the same thing to you this morning. Let that sink into your soul for a moment. If you only knew how God would respond to you, how God would treat you. The reason I love the stories in the New Testament of how Jesus consistently treats people who are in, in, in deep sin, he always shows mercy to them. When they humbled themselves and they finally came to him and he, and he never condemned them. He said, all right, come on, let's work on this. We're going to get you healthy. We're going to get you whole. We're going to get you back to a place where you feel like you have life again. I remember in the first year of this church, when we started a little over three years ago, there was a couple that sat on our couch, literally in the middle of like getting a divorce. And, and they were looking at each other like, we're, we're calling it quits. It is over. And the arguing is, and it's always an awkward thing as a pastor, you know, when you're sitting down and all of a sudden this huge <laughs> argument erupts in your office and you're kind of like, yo, we're in a coffee shop, shh, <laughs> you know. And it's always kind of awkward. And, and I remember at the end of the conversation, the woman coming up to me and she said, this is, it's just over. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. I said, no, let's pray, let's buckle down, let's really trust, let's believe God. Three years passed, they're still married, they're serving here in this church, they're loving Jesus. See, oftentimes you find yourselves in situations where you think that it's over. But we've oftentimes, in those moments, we've discounted who God is and what he really came to do. If you only knew the generosity of God. See, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11 puts it this way. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Listen to this. Plans to give you hope for a future. Like God wants to give you some hope this year. For those of you where you feel like, man, the wind has just been sucked out of your sails. Like God wants to come back and he wants to breathe some life back into you. Here's what I want you to understand. It may feel like Jesus gave up on you. Jesus never gave up on you. You just got overwhelmed and you gave up on him. Jesus never gave up on you. The truth is life just got so heavy and overwhelming and it was too much for your own shoulders to carry and you forgot about God and you tried to carry the load by yourself and eventually you got to a place where you gave up and you said, I'm too tired. I can't do this journey anymore. So the first thing you need if we're going to create some, some uphill habits, you need a hope for the future. The second thing you need, this is huge, you need repentance from the past. Repentance from the past. Now, the truth is repentance has become a negative word in, in so many ways. But I think it's also because we have this um, poor understanding of what true repentance really is. 
So in the church world, we think like true repentance is me running down to this altar, sobbing my eyes out, you know, crying, crying, wailing, God, forgive me, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. The truth is that's not true repentance. The truth is true repentance is this, oh, I'm walking down a street that is harmful for me, and I realize that this is not something that is going to benefit my life in any way, so I turn around and I start walking this way. I'll put it to you like this. If you've ever been through any drug rehab or um, any programs, if you've ever been a part of that, they give this example, and the example is this. uh, My life in five chapters. My life in five chapters says, chapter one, I went for a walk, and I fell into a deep, dark hole, and it took me a while to get out. Then it flips over. Chapter 2. I went for a walk and I fell in the same dark hole and it took me a while to get out. Chapter 3. I went for a walk and this time I saw the hole, but I got too close and I fell in. And it took me a while to get out. Chapter 4. I went for a walk and this time I saw the hole and I decided to actually walk around the hole. Chapter 5. This time I just went down another street. Now, now here's the problem. They use this illustration because most of us find ourselves in chapter 4 over and over and over and over again. I know the habit that is going to drag me down is right there, but I'm just going to continue to walk down the same street. And you know what? I'm not going to touch it. I'm just going to walk around it. But here's the problem. If you keep that mentality, eventually you're going to get too close. You're going to say, well, it's not that. And you fall in, right? So here's what true repentance is. It's going into chapter 5 going, what are the things in my life that I don't ever need to revisit again? What are the things in my life that just pull me down, that suck the life out of me, that offer some sense of like life when I get in it and maybe it's fun for about two weeks and then eventually it takes me down this downward spiral where I'm depressed, I feel like God's forgotten me, I feel like nobody is for me. Ultimately, the story is saying this, we have to have this chapter 5 revelation of that's what true repentance is, saying, listen, that is a street down there that I want nothing to do with, and I can't walk down that street anymore. I have to choose to go down another street. That's what true repentance really is. So let me ask you a question. What are the things in your life that this year that you have to stare at and say, I never want to go back there? I never want to go back there. What are those things? Philippians 3, 13, I love how Paul puts it. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. What is he saying right there? He's saying, hey, listen, I know I've got some areas in my life that need to be smoothed out, that need to be made right. I don't have it all down yet. I'm not perfect, but watch what he says. But one thing I do, Getting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. If you want to start 2018 off right and you want to create some healthy, good habits, you need a hope for the future, you need repentance from the past, and you have to understand whatever mistakes you've made in 2017, leave them behind. Leave them behind. And what happens too often is rather than our future defining who we are and who God has called us to be, many of us define ourselves by our past. Well, that's who I am because of what I've done or because of what I've walked through. And that's not 
the truth. And then this leads us to point three, which is the formation of uphill habits. So if we can have a hope for the future, if we can have some repentance from the past, then we can start to get to a place where we say, okay, now let's start working through some healthy habits. Romans 12, 2 puts it this way. It says, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. This is key right here. You have to allow God to work on your heart first. And most of us want to change from the outside in first. It says, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. What does that mean? Recognize, like some of you are in here right now and God's maybe pushing something down on your heart. He's convicting you of something. And oftentimes it's us just like paying attention to that. Okay, God, what are you convicting me of? What are the things that you're pulling out? What are the things that I need to deal with? This is unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So let me give you the first habit. The first habit that you have to have if you want to create some uphill habits. And I'm going to give you four of them all throughout this series. Habit number one, focus on what you do first. Focus on what you do first. Meaning this, what we prioritize first in our lives says a lot about us. The things that we do first, the things that we run to first says a lot about who we are. So how do we focus on what we do first? Well, number one, we got to do this. Put God first. Put God first. I said it at the beginning, 2018 will be drastically different. It will be the best year of your life if it is the best year spiritually. Listen, let me tell you something that you may not like, but it's just the truth, and it's only because I love you. If God is in your life, but he's not first in your life, he's not in your life. (laughs) In too many people, especially in southwest Louisiana, we get this idea, like you could go anywhere in Louisiana, anywhere. Do you believe in God? Of course I believe in God. You could walk into any bar in America, in, especially in the South. You believe in God, and a drunk man will tell you, of course I believe in God, and if, I, if you don't, I'll beat the heck out of you when I'm done, right? Everybody believes in God, but that's not enough. Just because you claim one thing, if God is not first in your life, he's not in your life at all. Because here's the truth. God will not take any other place but first on your list. If he's not first, he's not on it at all. And he has the right to be first, one, because he's God, and two, because he gave his first. See, God gave his first, his one and only son, so that, what, we could be free. So that we could be, so that we could have a place where we could offer our shame and our guilt. You know, Christianity is not about getting baptized at OSC Crowley. (laughs) Christianity is not about going through next step here at the church. Christianity is all about reorganizing your list and putting God on priority. That's what Christianity is all about. It's about God being first. Everything that you do filters through this. If God is not first, then I don't do it. This may be a far stretch, but the very first scripture in the Bible, in the beginning, what? God. (laughs) In the beginning, like God was First, Exodus 21 through 3 puts it this way. And God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt in the land of slavery. Pause there. How many of you can say, man, 
God's brought me through some crazy times. <laughs> like, he has brought me out of some, way, some things that I never thought that I could get out of. And then what does he say? Remember that I've brought you out of this slavery. And then he, he gives this reminder. You shall have no other gods before me. What is he saying? Like, if you want me to continue to pull you out of this slavery that you feel, this bondage that you feel, you have to come to the understanding that I've got to be first, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't want to prioritize it. So the next question leads to, so how do we put God first? How do we practically put God first? Point number two, give God the first of everything. Give God the first of everything. And, and, and I'll, be, I'll just be real honest with you for a moment. Most preachers preach this when they talk about money only. And if you do that, you're missing the complete context of the verse. Because the problem is when they're talking about this verse, it's not just talking about money. I'll read the verse to you, Leviticus 27.30. It says, a tithe of everything. What does that mean? A tithe of your thoughts? tithe of your time, a tithe of your service, not just your money, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And then we continue, Deuteronomy 14, 23 says this, watch this, the purpose of tithing, the purpose of giving God your first, is to teach you to always put God in the first place of your life. So the purpose of tithing is to remind you, hey, I give this over because I want to continually remind myself that God is first, that he is priority in my life. So let me walk you through four different things real quick that will practically help you put God first in your life and some things that we're going to all walk through as a church together. Number one, you've got to give God the first of your year. Give God the first of your year. So every single year we've done this, since we've started the church, we've done 21 days of prayer and fasting. 21 days of prayer and fasting. It'll actually kick off tomorrow. So let me just explain to you what, what that's going to look like, the 21 days of prayer and fasting. What it's going to look like is tomorrow, um, we, we're, all of our campuses, so for you guys here in Crowley, we, we'll go live on our Facebook page for the next 21 days every single day at 7 o'clock. With the exception of Saturday, we'll go live at 9. So every single day um, for the next 21 days, we'll go live on our Facebook and we'll literally just spend 20 minutes of devotion, prayer. We'll do it together. So one, I want to encourage you, every single person, to do this. 21 days of prayer and fasting. What would your year look like if you gave the first of your year to God? What would it look like if you started it off saying, God, you know what? I'm going to give you 21 days. 21 days where I'm going to set my mind, my affections on you. And now you can do four different things throughout this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Um, we're going to lead you spiritually as far as what you need to read, what you need to do, all that. And all you have to do to follow along with that is just follow us live on our Facebook page. There's also, if you go to our OSC Connect website, oscconnect.com, we have a PDF already ready for you of all different kinds of tips on fasting, different scriptures, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's four different things that you can do in these next 21 days. You can do a complete fast. Um, which is like you, you nix out all food and you drink nothing but water and juice. If you can do that, praise the Lord Jesus on earth, but go for it, okay? Um, 
I will die. <laughs> Some people can do it. I would strongly suggest if you want to do the 21 days of fasting, please consult with a doctor, okay? I'm not a doctor, but please consult one with one. Um, or you can do a selective fast. A selective fast is meaning, okay, I'm not going to eat breakfast and lunch, and I'm going to pig out for dinner, right? That was a joke, but anyway. Um, so, God, you guys are tough this morning. So complete fast, selective fast. You just say, I'm not going to eat breakfast, or and I'm going to eat lunch and dinner. You select whatever it is that you feel. Or you can do a partial fast. A partial fast is simply this, saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to eat like normal, but I'm cutting out all sugar. Okay, so I'm not going to eat any dessert, or I'm going to knock out Cokes, or whatever it is. Or you can do the fourth one, which I strongly suggest that most of you do. Um, it's a soul fast. And this is where you look at, what are the things in my life that are constantly robbing my affections from Jesus? So, so it, may be, um, it may be Facebook, it may be technology. So you say, for 21 days, I'm not going to get on Facebook. For 21 days, I'm not going to check my Instagram. For, that means for 21 days, I delete the Facebook app. Or for 21 days, I don't get on Netflix. For 21 days, I don't watch TV. Um, when, when we've had to do this, I've, for us to actually follow it, if, when we've done like no TV, I've literally had to pick up the TV, unplug it, and stick it in my closet with all my kids going, no! Right? Um, but here's the truth. The reason that some of you need to do that one is because 2017 robbed your soul from you, and you don't even know who you are anymore. You're tired. It's hard to think. It's hard to get clarity. But what would it look like for 21 days if you said, God, I'm going to... And the whole point of fasting is giving up something that you love to someone that you love even more, which is God. So you can get to a place of, look, I'm going to set aside whether it's food, whether it's technology, whatever it may be, so that ultimately you can say, God, I'm going to start this year off right. I'm going to start it off by giving you the first of my year. The, the, the second thing you can do is you can give God the first of your month. Meaning at the beginning of, the, of your month, you look over your schedule. And, and you say, I'm not going to schedule anything this month that schedules God out of my schedule. Because how many of us do that so many times? We don't even, and I'm not, I hate, honestly, my wife has, like in the new year, she was all excited. She got this planner, this calendar. I was like, that is for weird people, right? Like how... Like, people that love to just be organized, and they have all their, like, I love you and hate you all at the same time, right? Um, but, but the truth is, when we schedule our month, when we schedule it, most of us don't think about how it's going to affect our time, Right? So what do we do? We pile on the baseball games. We pile on the, oh, we're going to go here with family. Then we're going to go do this. And then we're going to go do that. And then right after school, then we got to be here. And then we got to be there. And then by the time you finally come home, you're so dead, you have no time for God at all. You've literally scheduled him out of your month. But if we're saying, hey, God, I'm going to put you first, it's literally looking at your schedule. What are all the things that are going to take place this month? And if anything schedules God out of the schedule, we don't do it. We put God first. It also means that you don't budget anything until you've given God your first. So we don't spend our money even on things until we say, God, you are my highest priority. Until I have given to you, until I have prioritized my time, my money, my thoughts, everything, we're not going to do anything. The third thing 
is you give God the first of your week. Well, if you're here this morning, you're already doing that. You give God the first of your week. Um, I don't know if you know this, but church actually used to be on Saturdays. Um, Like the Holy Day used to actually be on Saturday. Um, And some of you, maybe you didn't know that, but Saturday's the actual end of the week. And and whenever the, the leaders of the church got together, they said, you know what? Instead of ending our week with God, let's start our week with God. So they moved church to Sunday mornings, and they said, you know what, we're going to give God the first of our week. So, so let me put it to you like this. What would it look like, what would your life look like if you gave God 52 Sundays a year? And now here's what I mean. I'm not just talking about going to church. I'm saying you wake up in the morning, you head to church with your family, and then when you get home, you take a genuine Sabbath. So you come home and you do things that refresh your soul. You come home, you take a nap. (laughs) Some of you are like, I have no problem with that. You come home, you take a nap. Maybe you eat some good food that night. Maybe you read. You do things that refresh your soul so that when you hit Monday, all of a sudden you're in a place where you're in a healthy frame of mind. Man, I've given God something. I've given God the first of my week. I've prepared my mind, my thoughts to encounter Monday through Saturday. See, on Sunday, it should be this. It should look something like this. We worship and we rest. We worship and we rest. So what do we do in church? We worship, we give God everything, and then the rest of the day we Sabbath. And what do I do that just refreshes me? What, what can I do that I can just find some rest? And my challenge to you is don't just give God one hour on Sunday and say, check off the list, I did it, right? And then you go run around and you do a whole bunch of errands and you get, get some work done and you check some emails and all that kind of stuff. And then you lose the wonder of what Sunday was supposed to be all about. What would it look like if you took a nap, you took a walk, you ate good food, you enjoyed your family, you shut off distractions, and you let your soul be refreshed? The truth is, if you could really do this, you would get more done in six days with God helping you than in your own effort on seven days. I mean, God created the world in six. He had all the time that he needed because he took the seventh to rest. The truth is, the reason that so many of us are unproductive with the seven days is the truth is we're so tired. Our souls are just exhausted. We feel like a shell of a human being. We feel like we... we, Here's the sad thing, and I've seen this in my own life. I'm not telling you anything that I haven't experienced. I've seen in my own life the things that used to excite me, like when my soul is just tired... When I am empty, the things that used to excite me, the things that used to get me out of bed in the morning, the things that I used to be so passionate about, they don't even move me anymore. They don't even move me anymore. Just kind of like, eh, whatever. Hey, do you want to go have fun and do this? I know you love to do this. I mean, if you guys want to, that's great. Now, why do we get into that mode? It's because our soul is depleted and it's tired and we need a day to worship and we need a day to rest. And when we do this, ultimately we start realizing, man, my soul starts coming back. I start feeling refreshed. I start feeling like a human being again. And the fourth thing, we give God the first of my day. Meaning this, you have time for nothing until you have given God your time. Now, how many of you guys do this? We're all guilty of it. Like, we used to, we used to, when we first got these devices, right, 
you know, when, when we, at night we would plug it in in the kitchen or something, but now, like, most of us, like, sleep with it, you know, it's like our pillow. And as soon as when the alarm clock rolls over, what do we do? Boom, pick up the phone. What is usually the first thing we do? Boom, news, Facebook, Instagram. What would it look like if just for the first 10 minutes you woke up and you gave that to God? All right, God, good morning. Here I am. I have no idea what the day holds, but you do. God, would you cover me today? Thank you for allowing me to wake up another day. And you would give God the first 15 minutes of your time. What would it look like if for 365 days you gave God your first 15 minutes? It would drastically change your life. What if you spent five minutes in the Word every day? Five minutes reading the Bible. What if you spent five minutes in worship and five minutes in prayer? And maybe for some of you, this would be a new thing. And maybe for some of you, you wouldn't even know what to do. But here's the truth. It's like any formation of a new habit. You may not, want to, not, not know what to do, but along the line, you figure it out. And God leads you and God guides you. And before you know it, you can't live without it. And before you know it, you begin to realize, like, man, if, if, I'm, if I don't pray today, like, I'm going I'm to cut somebody, right? Like, if I have not spent time with Jesus, like, my soul, my thoughts, they're going to go to a place that is dangerous. But let me remind you, everything worthwhile is uphill. Everything worthwhile is uphill. If you give God the first of your every, everything, here's what's going to happen. Point number three, you can expect God to bless the rest of everything that you do. See, if you give God your first, here's what happens. You prioritize it and you say, God, everything that I do today is all for you. I'm giving my time, my energy, my thoughts to you first. And then here's what happened. God takes over and says, you know what? I'll take care of the rest of the day. But because we're so busy, we don't give God the first. And here's what happens. We take over and we control the rest of the day. And we come at the end of the day and we're like, God, where were you today? God, why didn't you help me? God, where where were you when I was struggling? It's oftentimes because we did not put him first. See, when you give God the first, he will take what you have given him and he usually multiplies it. It's just this principle all throughout Scripture. When you give God whatever you can, he multiplies it. So if you give God your time, he usually multiplies your time. If you give God your finances, he usually multiplies your finances. When you give God your thoughts, he usually multiplies your thoughts. All of my best ideas and closest connection with Jesus has always been when I've prayed. Anytime I've had a good idea for the church or a good idea for my family, it's always been in spending time with Jesus. God, I'm going to give you my thoughts, and God usually implants some things. And Before I know it, he takes over. See, Proverbs says it this way. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So let me close with this. Many of you today are searching for clarity. You're searching for some hope. Maybe you came here today and you say, you know what, I didn't give God 2017 at all and I'm just going to come here, I'm going to sit here and, and maybe, maybe hof- hopefully it doesn't wane off. Hopefully it's not just like, you know, in, in January the gym is full, right? Everybody's there. This is the year and then like three weeks in you're like, this sucks, I'm out, <laughs> right? Don't do that to God. 
Make it something where you say, you know what, I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to give it a year of my life. Some of you are searching for renewed purpose, renewed hope. Let me ask you a question. How desperate are you? How desperate are you to allow God to heal your brokenness? Because in my experience, if you're desperate enough, God will come through. But if you don't really want it enough, he just gives you little pieces at a time. But if you say, you know what, God, I am so desperate. I'll I'll give you the 21 days, God. And maybe that's all you have right now. Maybe I was saying something at the beginning, like give God a year. I I don't have that kind of time. I don't have that kind of time to wait to give God a year. Maybe all you have is 21 days. Maybe you feel like, man, all I got in me right now is five days. Listen, wherever you're at on the spectrum right now, give God something and let him take over. You give God your first and you'll watch God bless the rest of your life. So I just want to challenge you. In a moment, we're going to close and Ryan's going to wrap up the service and he'll tell you about some of the things that we've got going on to help you here in this process. But starting tomorrow, let it be like a clean slate. And I know you've got all these things running through your mind, all these things, all these excuses, all these reasons of why we can't. Or all these reasons of why, well, how is, how is me giving God 21 days going to cure my depression? But God, how is God giving me 21 days going to help me in this marital situation? But God, you give God 21 days and you watch what he does and stick to it, commit to it. So starting tomorrow, 7 a.m., can you give him 10 minutes? literally pop on we'll walk you through a devotional we'll give you some practical things that you can do that day and we'll do that every single day for 21 days and then on january 28th we're going to close it all off with one big night of prayer worship all of our campuses are coming together january 28th at 6 p.m at the opera house so they're all coming to our home turf coming to crowley and the cool thing is we actually got, we got Pastor Tim Delina from the Lafayette campus who's going to be here with us. If you've never heard him, he's, I mean, since I was eight, nine years old, he's been one of my favorite preachers on the planet. Um, he's incredible. But what we're going to be doing is on January 28th is we're going to take a culmination of what God has done in 21 days. And we're going to all come together, Jennings, Eunice, Crowley. And man, we're just going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the victories. We're going to celebrate God releasing us from, you know, strongholds. We're going to celebrate maybe some of the the bondage that God's released us of from the past. And listen, there is nothing better than something like that. So you give God 21 days and January 28th is just going to be the culmination of just going, yes, it was worth it. It was worth it. And we start the year off right by saying, God, man, we're going to give you everything. And I want to encourage every single person, wherever you're at spiritually, it does not matter. It doesn't matter if you're new in the faith. It doesn't matter if you've been in the faith for 20 years. Wherever you're at, this will benefit your life. You giving God the first of your life.